日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Welcome back to yet another episode of the Samurai Archives podcast. Today we're talking about the facts and myths about mounted warfare during the Sengoku period, looking mainly at the Takeda cavalry as an example. The Takeda clan is known for its cavalry, but was it their mobility on the battlefield or their ability to move their armies quickly across Kai that was the basis for the legend of the Takeda cavalry? Keep listening to find out.、Uh, everyone talks about,、uh, or you also see in the movies, these,、uh, the vaunted Takeda cavalry where you have these giant massed. Cavalry charges in battle, spears out before them as they charge forward towards the ranks of spearmen, and you see this、right. in Shogun Total War. You have your trained mass cavalry, sort of the Napoleonic cavalry charges. Right, Japanese version. Yeah, the Japanese version. And Lancers and, and so forth and so on, right. Right, and、uh, so, you know, if you kind of think about it, and、uh, based on a lot of research, pretty much、uh, combinations of common sense and, and what generally is known. You kind of have to look at it from what, what would the requirements have been for a mobile massed cavalry? Well, you, you have to, of course, you need a large group of skilled men with specific training in group cavalry tactics. And now, would that have been feasible in a Sengoku army and in the Takeda in particular? Well, generally speaking, and I, I think this goes for most of Japan at the time, when、uh, the daimyo says, okay, we're going off to war, he would call up his generals, not literally on the phone or anything. <laughs> he would tax them. They、yeah. might, he could have if, if they'd invented the telephone. He, he <laughs> There you go.、Uh, so he would, contact the, he would let the generals know okay, we're going to war. We need, I, need, I know you have X number of horses, you have X number of troops. Bring them on over, and then we'll, we'll mess up and we'll, we'll go to war.、Um, basically, that means, generally speaking, maybe the general has 200 men with horses under him. So he'll contact each of these guys, say, bring your horses, bring your guys. Everyone will kind of show up. And this sort of、uh, aspect of it is the,、uh, during the Sengoku period,、uh, you know, whether or not a person actually rode a horse in battle kind of depended on their social position.、Uh, it didn't depend on their job, per se. Right. And there were no, I mean, I think it's also a useful, useful moment to point out that for the most part, there weren't units as we would think of them, where there weren't specialized units of anything. Basically, a unit was. One, a, a, a retainer with his retainers and their retainers under him, under that one guy's banner. That would be a unit. So that unit might have spearmen, it might have bowmen, it might have some rifles, and it would have men on horses with all of their attendants. Right, and then they may, some of them may generally be grouped together in the, in the long run during, you know, in preparation for the battle, but generally speaking,、uh, typical mounted warriors basically rode with foot soldier attendants and rolled into battle,、uh, rode into battle as this type of unit. You have the horse and you have their attendants.、Uh, the reasons for this was, of course,、uh, they're not trained as mass cavalry and mass cavalry tactics because they're not training for war,、uh, per se, in their off time.、Uh, and also, since it depends on your social position to actually ride a horse, People of this social position probably aren't going to be, are kind of busy administering and aren't going to be spending their time training in mass cavalry tactics. Certainly not with you know, everybody else in the clan, since to have any sort of mass cavalry, you would have to bring together all of the clan's horsemen and train them to work as together. A, as a single group. As、right. a single group, which wasn't, wasn't really something that was done. Right, it, it required、um, a greater socioeconomic means、mm-hmm. than 
was prevalent up until pretty much the time of, of Nobunaga, at which point you're better off utilizing technology such as the gun and putting more people into work with that because it's cheaper and I mean, as expensive as guns might have been, they're a lot cheaper than horses yeah. and a lot easier to maintain. Uh, and they're also a lot easier to train somebody how to use. So uh, you were better off going that route than, than uh, massed cavalry. But, uh, uh, I mean, aside from that, I mean... Yeah, well, it seems yeah. odd to point it out, but yeah, I think it needs to be pointed out. These weren't armies. These were clans. And in that vein, the clansmen would bring whoever they had with them to the battle. So these aren't right. professional armies. These are, I've got 200 horses, I've got 400 men with spears. Uh, okay, we'll meet up here and then we'll, we'll head out to battle. So it, it wasn't until... These are more uh, battle, these are more like Braveheart battles. These it, aren't... It know, wasn't until later in the Sengoku period, that, um, about the 1560s, that we start seeing actual designations of what... Uh, individual, you know, retainers of, of a daimyo were supposed to bring to the battlefield. At that point, you, if you look at uh, Hojo uh, rosters, it was spelled out, you know, I'm giving you a fief worth this many con, mm-hmm. uh, and you will, you know, your military requirement in return is to bring, you know, ten guys with spears, two, two guys on horses, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three guys with guns, three guys with bows. I, and I, I mean, I'm rattling this off the top of my head. I, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what the actual right. ratios were, but um, you know, to, this was the first point when you started, when you see it started being spelled out at this level. Really, um, was about the mid 1500s, uh, 1550, 1560s. Well, what that tells you is that. Now, every, like you said, every retainer is bringing his own mishmash of people. And even though it's now spelled out, this is what you're going to bring, they're still not in a garrison environment able to train in large groups with each other. It's not all you, uh, Tanaka, are bringing, you know, 500 horsemen. And so you're responsible for all the horsemen in, in my army and you're going to train them all and they're all going to work together. No, they're, they're coming in still, you know, fighting underneath you, but you've got ten spearmen, five horsemen, you know, three gunners, three archers, and you, they might have been rudimentarily trained in this is how you work together in a, as a gunner-archer-spearman combo where you'd have you know two archers covering space for three gunners while they were reloading it and so forth. But, and then the guys with spears would run out to prevent anybody from running up on them. But we're not, you know, armies just were not structured at this time to accommodate mass training. This is why, you know, I, I, I make the argument that they were not professional soldiers at this point because they this was not all they did. And, you know, we're, we're not even getting into the fact that, you know, you had to uh, negotiate, you know, between giving them time to plow the fields and so forth and, and also going to come in because, you know, not only were the Ashigaru farmers uh, and, and the, the workers in the rice fields for, for most of the daimyo families that were leading out of this time period, but even the quote-unquote officer class, though I hesitate to use that yeah. just for, for purposes of, of discussion, uh, even they were were 
larger scale cultivators who mm-hmm. may have you know been overseeing uh, village size or, or larger you know plots of land right. um, as the, the the overseeing cultivator but then they would then draft their farmers out you know take them with them and, and go fight in, in battle so you know you're you, you have a lot that you're you're trying to sort out and it, it didn't allow uh, them to be pulled off of the land and to train for long periods of time necessary to to fight in large coordinated groups. I mean, this is the the easiest argument that one can make against the the whole image at, at Nagashino of you know three thousand or even one thousand mm-hmm. gunners lined up and firing in rotational volley yeah. fire. Well. Pff- I couldn't get a thousand U.S. Army soldiers to do that today without extensive time to train. Oh, well, I, I, I you remember know. us being so they teaching us just marching in, in unison in a parade ground. It's enough to, to drive right. a sergeant insane. <laughs> Forget about yeah, concentrated volley firing. I mean, it was it was hard for the even the Napoleonic regiments to pull off. I mean, it, yeah, absolutely. And well, I think too a, a major point to, to, to just to touch again on that, the feudal aspect of it is that so if if Lord Shingen sends out the call and he calls you up, he said, "Chris, I want you to bring you know however many men you're supposed to bring, your your 200 horses and your your 50 Ashigaru, what have you." Well, when you show up, it's 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 I'm sure there are exceptions, but for the most part, you're also expecting to actually lead those men. Right. Shingen's not going to say, okay, now give me all of your men and I'm going to give them to Naito Masatoyo right. who runs my cavalry because right. those are your property. Yeah. As within the feudal structure, you know, those came with your fife when he gave you those fife. Now, the, you, you send your men off to Naito Masatoyo, he gets them all killed. Well, you're the one that has to deal with it in the fall when it comes time to deal with the crops and so forth yeah. and all of your men are dead. So. Uh, that also, I think, made it very difficult to create specialized units. And, and so yeah, so I, I think it's important to point out that uh, mainly it's this is the feudal social structure. So this is these are clan ties and blood ties that keep these soldiers together. It's not we are part of the Kai provincial army or what have you. Right. Where right. these are blood ties. I mean, this is a different time in history. Uh, this is when you think of the battlefield. This isn't massed trained groups charging each other even though the movies love to show it that way this is more like just random chaotic I, my image based on all this would be more like like uh, Braveheart where it's just kind of like the clansmen dig, get together and they say they uh, you know let's go kill some bad guys and they just charge off and they basically just clan that up that is what is supposed to have been said before Nagashina was made as Nate probably well knows <laughs> yeah so yeah so Basically, yeah, based on the clan ties, based on the blood ties, they just sort of get together and uh, as a group, and they just go off to war. These, uh, it, it's sort of hard to really hit on that point enough, I think, to make it really drill in that these, this, it's a different time, it's a different social structure. Yeah, and, uh, it's, yeah, and you're, it's, you're, uh, you know, if you if you ride you, even if you if you ride a horse, it is because your social position, not because of any other reason. You know, these kind I of know things. it's well, it's tough too, and and really the vernacular, especially in English, I mean, can be very misleading. And a lot of times, I mean, I, I'm sure even in the past, working on the summer archives, I've used terms like generals and so forth. But these men weren't generals. I mean, I suppose you could describe them as generals in the sense that yes, they were on a field of battle and they did have men under their command. But that, that doesn't really—that's not really what we would think of today as a general. Uh, again, as you said, this is the head of a clan, 
and he was there with a bunch of people that were affiliated with him. But it's not like he went to some, you know, some single conversion of West Point or ROTC. I mean, he, he, he just, he was the eldest son, we'll say, and he's the head of the, the Nido clan, so he's the guy who's expected to be there when uh, the war breaks out. And how much time he spends in, in when he's not campaigning in military affairs probably varied from guy to guy, but as, as, as Nate was saying, there, 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 there was no social economic basis for anything like regular training. You, know, you couldn't really have a nat, you know, Sengoku National Guard, per se, where right. you'd allow them to lead the drill. It, it really took until you know, the time of Hideyoshi, and we have the Heino Bunri, the, the separation between you know the samurai class and the, and the cultivator class, and then we have you know the uh, the the Taiko Kenshi, the the na systematic nationwide surveying of, of fields, so that they knew exactly what they had economically to work with, and, um, and so forth. And it, it took that to get to the point where they could uh, field standing armies, so to speak. And even though you know people like Nobunaga and, and probably the Takeda and the Hojo before that had close approximations to it they weren't there yet and it and it really you know that's what it what, what gets me so much when you when you see people talk about um, these battlefields or, or, or these you know these battles that took place in the um, and they assume the way things the when you know you have to understand that that these armies were not constructed this way and so there that affects how they could fight on the battlefield and prevents you, you know, prevents the this this notion of grand cavalry charges or of you know coordinated uh, gunfire or or whatever. It, it's simply you know the most you could coordinate was within your little you know ten to fifteen man group that you brought with you, mm -hmm. and you, they were probably fairly well coordinated. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at um, you know Carl Friday's work on on earlier. Time periods like uh, the, the the Han and the Genpei periods. I mean, it's we have it's the same issue, and it, it doesn't stop in, 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 until the last part of this Sengoku. But they would be very well coordinated within their own little band. Mm -hmm. But you know, at, at that time period, major battles consisted of okay, there's the enemy, go get him, and these little groups would then right. you know. Um, have uncoordinated combat with the little groups of the other, right. and a lot of the battle, enemies. battle, the folding screens of these famous 16th century battles bears that out. That it, it really does look like you have a little cluster of guys around a horseman, and there's another little cluster of guys around a horseman. They're fighting another little cluster on that side, and it's all kind of mixed together. And um, in fact, I, I've always been a little struck by Naga, the Nagashino. Um, the Nagashino screen, if only because it's one of the very few where there is almost a semblance, in the case of the Oda, of a battle line. Right. There is kind of a front line there where that's really absent in almost every other major uh, major screen that I've seen. Um, but then again, I, I just, I, I personally, the idea of, of these guys setting up these, like the crane's wing and all of this other, <laughs> this other stuff, I just don't see it. I just don't see how it's feasible from, from everything that we've been talking about, from the, from the very limited command and control capabilities at, at the hands of a, of a daimyo, to, to the very, to, to, to the lack of space in a lot of these places, to arrange 20,000 men in some, you know, textbook, you know. It would take three days to arrange that thing. So obviously based on this, the Sengoku armies really didn't have the structure to put together these units and to put together a trained cavalry charge. Um, so what does that leave? What, what is something else that you need for a cavalry charge? You need speed. You right. need fast horses. 
so I have some statistics here um, based on some things that I was translating, but uh, basically uh, the, the typical horses uh, of that time in uh, Tsutsuji Gasaki uh, in Kai province, they, they were looking at horse skeletons. Uh, typically it's about 120 centimeters at the shoulder, which I guess works out to a little under five feet. The weight was probably around 550 pounds, 250 kilograms. A fully armored samurai probably would have been about 80 kilograms, based on what I was reading, which is about a third the weight of the horse. Uh, so, which means that, uh, you know, in proportion to the size of the horse, the guy is actually quite heavy on the side, on the back of the horse. Whereas this is contrasted with uh, modern thoroughbreds, which are about 500 kilograms, which is over a thousand pounds, and about 160 centimeters at the shoulder, which is, I guess, about almost five and a half feet. The, 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 well, that represents the I, I have no idea what the conversion rate is to hands on that, like which is how you measure horses. To the withers and such. Yeah. But regardless, we're, we're talking about at the shoulder, so. Yeah. So based on that, uh, you know, a, a samurai would be a lot heavier on a Japanese horse than a, a, an armored knight would be on a uh, European thoroughbred. So uh, generally speaking, you know, two things in mind. The social structure had the high-ranking guy on the horse and his attendants would follow him. That's how they went to battle. Also, a, a horse at a full run carrying a samurai would, would not be able to outrun these foot soldiers. Basically, they run at about the same speed. So basically, that's the, it's maybe chicken or the egg argument, but either because the horses couldn't outrun them, they were able to have attendants, or because they had attendants, uh, essentially, the uh, the horses couldn't outrun the, the men, so it was prudent to have men with them. It wasn't unfeasible to have men with them because the horses couldn't outrun them. And the, yeah, and they, you know, these attendants, I'm sure, like you know, they had a lot of useful functions. They protected the horse. I, I mean, the horse a horse is expensive. They protect the horse, and presumably, if the guy did manage to kill somebody notable, they would be the ones to physically cut the head off and and, and so forth, and, and just generally protect him. Yeah. So basically, you're seeing uh, uh, the horses, kind of. On a small scale, you have uh, these groups of horses and men, so it's sort of a mixture. It's not not just horses and a cavalry like uh, like you see in like the Napoleonic Wars. It's, right, and it's basically groups of horses. Uh, the man riding them is a higher social status, so he of course has attendants. So the attendants are following him. So basically, the social structure, along with the lack of organizational structure, kind of ruins this this image of the the massed trained charging cavalry. Right. Uh, two, two, two points on that. Um, first, uh, on the horses themselves, uh, it's important to remember that these horses uh, at this time, I mean, western horses weren't, you know, so the, the image that we have of horses and cavalry charges are, you know, from the west, either, uh, you know, European charges, like Napoleonic days, or, or uh, you know, American western you know, quarter horses ridden by the, the cavalry against uh, against the Apaches or whatever. Um, those horses didn't come into Japan until the Meiji and and uh, you know the Meiji period. So there, we're we're not talking horses like you see in movies because they didn't exist in Japan. What we're talking about because they weren't they weren't bred as war horses in Japan. I think right. that's maybe something that well should be. the the stock of horse that that. Uh, that the Japanese had was closely related to the Mongol pony, um, which is a much smaller horse. And if if you'll uh, if you know about how the Mongols fought on their horses, they did not have 
um, a lot. Of, I mean, they did have some quote unquote heavy cavalry, right. um, but they didn't have a lot of it. What they mostly did was, you know, much like the Japanese, mm -hmm. uh, mounted archers, um, at least when the Japanese, you know, in, from the earlier uh, warfare periods. Um, and the Mongols would take herds of ponies into battle with them because they would have to keep changing them. Um, and they didn't wear significant amounts of armor, mm -hmm. so they weren't overburdening yeah, unlike the their, their, their horses. Mm -hmm. um, unlike the Japanese, uh, by the Sengoku period, who were wearing you know, heavier, heavier armors. Um, what, uh, you know, so, so these aren't, you know, first of all, it's, it's important to get that, that image you know, straight in your head that these are not you know, chargers like we see in, you know, knights in Europe yeah. who are who were bred and developed to carry hulking masses of of armor uh, you know, into battle. Um, these are much more much lighter, much uh, much smaller horses uh, that were completely unsuited to that. Um, second of all, going back to your your, your point about this the status and, and the attendance and so forth um, in my research for Nagashino, I spent a lot of time analyzing screens, and um, particularly the uh, Kawanakijima Kasenbyogu, uh, or the screen that's actually um, a screen depicting a Takeda battle formation at the um, Fourth Battle of Kawanakijima. Um, but it's a it's a representation of what a battle formation looks like, and if you count and go through all the individuals, which I spent tedious hours doing. Um, all of the mounted figures have at least two on-foot attendants with them. So even the Takeda, who are supposedly this, you know, known for their, for their use of horses, whether we want to say it's cavalry or not, um, even they, in battle formation, have all of their uh, mounted soldiers had attendants with them. So, um, you know, to confirm what Chris is saying, uh, I mean, even the, the pictorial depictions of this sh don't show horses moving off into battle, you know, by themselves yeah. or, or right. whatever. They always have attendants with them, and they're always, um, you know, the advantage to being on a horse was, well, you're not doing the work of moving yourself, uh, and you are higher up than your than your enemy than your non-mounted enemy. So even though you're not charging in and being used in a typical cavalry way like like uh, like Western armies um, would uh, at this time, you, uh, you you still had the advantage of mobility against an individual opponent, and you still had the advantage of height against an individual opponent. It's it's um, it's an individual thing as opposed to a group yeah. thing, so to speak. Also. You know, another interesting point that I came across is, of course, uh, maneuverability is another important aspect of uh, you know, cavalry and horse warfare. Kai is a very mountainous province, and horses apparently, and I didn't know this, uh, downward slopes of more than 30 degrees are extremely difficult for horses to maneuver. and. Uh, in, you know, in regards to the Takeda Calvary, Kai is extremely mountainous, so the, the sort of the speed of the horses is kind of useless in that type of terrain. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of interesting that. Uh, well, the, we, the, it's interesting that uh, you know the, tie, the Takeda is always uh, spoken of for the the cavalry and the horses, where you know it's it's sort of 
Kai itself is not a good place for horses to actually fight in. <laughs> if you yeah, I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that, um, and, and this is, you know, simply my own speculation. Um, but I, I think a uh, because they were mountain bred horses, they were particularly good for moving supplies. So their mobility is not so much, you know, in a tactical employment on the battlefield, but that they could move from, say, Kofu to Shinano and, and oppose Kenshin in a rapid amount of time. Uh, if you look at uh, Fourth Battle of Kawanakajima, the initial contact between the Takeda and the, uh, and the Usugi, the Usugi showed up with 18,000 troops, and the Takeda at Kaizu Castle had only 150 soldiers. Um, but because they had that, you know, uh, bonfire signaling system, they were able to get word back to Kofu very quickly. And then Kenshin, or I'm sorry, Shingen was able to move from Kofu up to uh, Kaizu Castle very rapidly. Well, how did he do that? He had they had horses that had the endurance to do forced marches of that yeah. length. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that you uh, that I think uh, with that is that when you look at things like the Koyogunkan or or any other depictions after the fact of uh, Nagashino and other things you know other uh, images of the Takeda I think a lot of it is that the Takeda are kind of given this this reputation as being uh, masters of cavalry in contrast to other uh, daimyo. So when you look at Nobunaga, how is he described? He's described as this master of, of, of guns, you know. Mm-hmm. And so Nagashino is built into a simplistic dichotomy between guns and, well, the Takeda had horses. So, right. the, you know, and then... Later on, you know, centuries later, people are writing descriptions of it or, or making depictions yeah. of it, whether we're talking woodblock prints, whether we're talking, uh, you know, movies in, in the 1980s. Um, they're, oh, okay, well, guns, and, and they had horses, so it must have been cavalry charge into gunfire, right? <laughs> right. Um, and that's, you know, as we've talked about ad nauseum about Nagashino, that's not necessarily the case. But not just the Oda, but you look at, um, you know, the Hojo, or what are they known for? Castle building, because yeah. they had Odawara. Well, okay, but if you actually go to Odawara and you compare it to the later castles that came, it's really not all that spectacular. Right. <laughs> um, it would just happen to be prior for the time prior to about, you know, 1590 when it fell, it was, it was big. But... Yeah. Um, but that's the image that, that, that we have of them. And so we boil these simplistic images down to describe, well, the Hojo were great castle builders. Well, they built one fantastic castle that had a lot of little satellite castles, but, you know, they, they weren't the ones building Azuchi and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Osaka-jo and uh, Kumamoto-jo yeah. and so forth. Um you know, but the, because of that, the Takeda get made the cavalry folk guys, and you know the 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 Oda or the you know taking you know yeah. untrained Ashigaru and giving them guns, and now all of a sudden they're yeah. they're a modern army and yeah. and so on and so forth. So I, I think it's a lot of you know simplistic uh, description. I think I think that's probably fair though, because it, it sounds like they had a, a large number of horses, regardless of how effectively they were used as cavalry well, um, during the. Uh, Sua invasion. Um, 
says that they mobilized about 30,000 infantry and 3,000 mounted cavalry. So that's uh, you know almost 10% of the army is, is uh, mounted cavalry. Right. Of course, we want again maybe one we should hesitate before we even use the term cavalry. Because again, cavalry is very specific. Yeah. Putting a man on a horse, whether he's armed or not, does not necessarily make him cavalry. It how just would you, makes uh, him a man. On how a would horse. you define or translate the like the kibatai and the kiba? I, I would. That's a that's a good question. Because I the, because I've it, been translating it, it as cavalry because it's convenient. It, it depends on how you. It depends on the time period, really, and how they are employed. Because the word does not change in Japanese, whether whether you're talking about you know like Meiji period, uh, you know horse units that they that they were you know used against the Russians in 1905, those are cavalry. I mean that's what they use. You know that's what they are because they're modern, quote unquote. I mean you know modern for 1905, you know military unit, and they were employed and used in the same ways. In the the Sengoku period, what were Looking at more is less cavalry and just more mounted soldiers. So mounted, mounted so troops or mounted soldiers. almost. I, I mean, not quite in the same way that you know dragoons. If you're familiar with the term dragoons, who are a mounted form of infantry in the sense that they they are on horses, go to the battlefield. But when they're when they get into a large battle, they dismount and fight as infantry. Hmm. I don't know if if that's really how I would describe the way that things were going in the Sengoku period, because generally speaking, I, I don't know that they dismounted to fight necessarily, uh, but they were surrounded by, as we've said, dismounted attendants and foot soldiers and, and so forth. So they weren't, they weren't fighting in units by themselves. You know, units, uh, you know, units were not broken down by type quite just yet. They were getting to that towards the end of the Sengoku period, but it was not quite done in the same way. I think uh, that's a good point to make because a lot of the times when you see that the term translated into English in, say, uh, Turnbull or a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of the, the books, it basically it, it uses cavalry as the, uh, the term. Which maybe that just the fact that they're using that is enough to really right. skew so the, the term uh, cavalry brings very distinct connotations to, right, to right. the typical reader. And now, just as um, as an aside, and um, for what he's worth, Rai Senyo, who wrote the unofficial history of Japan, actually discusses uh, the Takeda and Musigi a little bit, and he, he specifically says actually much of what we're saying here that that the Takeda did have a lot of cavalry, but that he didn't have any special cavalry tactics that he used them as basically as dragoons that they to get them basically battlefield taxis to get them to the front then they can then they would dismount and fight on foot and the, the cavalry is primary cavalry the horses are primarily beneficial for mobility outside the battlefield but the, on the battlefield there again there were no cavalry tactics per se that these men fought either on foot or in their own little groups for listeners out there who would like to, you know, see more about this, I mean, I, I've I've read the same kind of stuff in multiple places, but the the, the most um, accessible in English, I think, uh, if and most recent, Thomas Conlon's book, yeah, Weapons and Fighting Techniques of the Samurai Warrior, twelve hundred to eighteen seventy seven. This is a it's a great book. It, it, it's a bit of a coffee table book, so it's large size, lots of pictures, you know. But normally, from an academic standpoint, I'd kind of stay away from those. But 
actually, this is a very good one that I, I used quite a lot in my own research. Because, well, it is Thomas Conlon. Yeah, Thomas Conlon's a great author uh, and uh, knows his stuff. Uh, and, and this is um, a, an excellent look at the development of Japanese warfare during this time period. And the way he organizes it is by weapons system. Um, so he'll talk about the development of the use of horses in, in, in a chapter, and it starts from you know how they were used in the the pre-hand days, you know, and and up through mounted archery and so forth, and then uh, you know kind of traces the development of warfare by technology, by weapons system. So I, I, it was a very interesting way to, to do it. But in that, he, he talks about this same problem that we've been talking about, where you know Japanese forces were smaller and not suited to the type of cavalry, quote unquote, uh, usage that we we imagine when we we see that term. Um, so I, I think that this is something that I'd like to get more into in, in as I go forward in, in researching Japanese warfare during the the Sengoku period is. Traditional cavalry roles for for a, a modern slash Western um, audience would be, uh, you know, reconnaissance. Mm -hmm. um, well, we we know that they conducted reconnaissance, but you know, how did they do it? Was it was it, you know, individual warriors on horseback moving ar around the battlefield to observe? Was it uh, because they didn't have like in the Civil War? You know, you'd see, um, you know, Jeb Stuart's Sure. Cavalry unit uh, out front of Lee's army conducting reconnaissance, right. you know, in a, in a modern method. The samurai obviously didn't quite do that in the same way because they didn't have specialized units yet. But from, just from my research on Nagashino, um, you see that the Tokugawa served as a screen line forward. So they were not only conducting reconnaissance, but conducting counter reconnaissance in a, in a very recognizable way to a modern observer. How exactly were they doing that, you know, and, and were they sending people, individuals forward to, you know, on horseback to go find the enemy and then come back, or, or how was that taking place? Um, you know, cavalry is also used by, by modern slash western, um, you know, forces as a, uh, as a uh, flank attack force or, or as a a means to destroy the enemy's supply lines or to hit the enemy from the side or the, or the rear. Now we see Shingen do that at Mikatagahara, but we know his the makeup of his force was not cavalry heavy like mm -hmm. you know like like images try to portray. So how exactly did that did that work? If you know because we see uh, especially at Mikatagahara cavalry like tactics. But we know that they weren't made up of complete horse-mounted yeah. units. So how exactly did that work on the battlefield? And then that's the kind of stuff that, that really interests me and that I would like to get into um, in the future when I'm being paid to do this or, or doing it through a PhD program. <laughs> have time. But Okay, so that uh, pretty much wraps it up. So I guess in a nutshell, uh, to sort of highlight what we're talking about here with the cavalry. Basically, we're looking at these were basically based on the social structure, the clan hierarchy, the clan relations, the familial relations, the blood relations. Uh, these were not professional armies. These were, uh, it was a whole other animal than a professional army. So basically, 
it lacked the structure of a professional army, therefore it lacked the ability to train mass groups of men, particularly since uh, whether or not you rode a horse was based on your social status, uh, it wasn't your job description, and since the higher status people rode horses, they would bring people to battle with them who would follow them on foot, uh, which really doesn't make for an effective cavalry charge if you've got guys <laughs> chasing after them as fast as they can run, you yeah. know, with, yeah. with spears, you know, in the middle of midst of a cavalry charge. So, uh, you have that, you also have the size of the horses. The horses were too small to really support a, a fast run. They didn't have the speed because the mounted soldiers were probably about a third of their weight, whereas if you have these, these monstrous European horses, the, the armored soldier was maybe 10% of their weight, and so they were much more faster, much more maneuverable. Hopefully we've been able to sort of uh, enlighten you, and oddly enough, it really doesn't seem that it is all that well known amongst people who are interested in, generally speaking, in the uh, history of uh, Sengoku warfare. Both, both in the West and actually in Japan, to, to get a cavalry is an abiding myth in Japan itself. True, considering that even regardless of uh, what movie you're watching, even if it's made in Japan, you still see them charging as a, as a mass formation into the uh, skilled gunfire of the uh, Nobunaga troops. <laughs> They're rapid, 30 shot a minute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be honest, it makes for better TV, and that's really what's important. That's, that's all that really matters. That's true, that's true. So, that's, uh, that's all for today's podcast. Hopefully you found it as fascinating as I did. Uh, so, we will be with you yet again in two more weeks with uh, yet another spectacular, thrilling episode of the Samurai Archives podcast. So, as usual, if you have any questions, please send them along to samuraipodcast at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at Samurai Archives or on Facebook. Just do a search for Samurai Archives. And don't forget, if you buy anything from Amazon.com, and I'm sure you do, be sure to use the Samurai Archives link so that any purchases you make will kick back a, a, a fraction of a percent to the Samurai Archives in order to cover the costs of this uh, podcast and all the other expensive things like servers and domain names and such. Every tiny little bit helps. It keeps us uh, on the air, keeps the lights on, and uh, keeps the air conditioning on. <laughs> no, that is not an airplane engine that you hear behind us. That's actually the air conditioner. So, this is Chris for Nate and Forrest saying thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Goodbye. Bye.